my beat is gone. We're back. So Barack Obama called the waitress a sweetie today. Now the press is having a day. They're getting all mad. They're looking for a fight. I'm reading the news. I'm like, this shit ain't right. What's going on here? He can't speak the truth. What if she was a sweetie? What if she was cute? It's a sad day in society when one plus two can't equal three. I'm no fan of his policies, but he's not a sexist. Everybody knows this. He's wandered around with Lexus, but it didn't work. What an idiot. Why would I... Here we go. How about we talk about the way I look? Everybody knows that's off the hook. I've got the war paint on, as you can see. Who said what about cultural insensitivity? Nah, man. It's just having fun. Don't blame me. I ain't the one. Where's my beat? Something. Yeah, that's right. Okay, I dress up as an Indian. If you don't like it, I'm gonna take you in to the political correct police, throw you in jail. Blake makes it rock, but Sean D, he makes it hail. Everybody knows that I can't beat that guy. His rounds were, oh my god, super fly. I'm almost embarrassed to be stacked up with him, but sometimes you gotta lose and grin. Alright, Bay, I think I'm done. That's all I got for you. Hope it was fun. I keep on rapping, but you know how it goes. Those guys get gunned down and they get no hoes. If they continue too long, like LL Cool J, who the hell is he anyway? Alright, that's my freestyle. I'm going out eloquent. Now I hope you enjoy a special D. I wish that rhymed. Love you, Seabag. Hello, friends and enemies. Uh, this is Edward, and I'm going to be running the ship today for This Machine Kills. Today, we are going to have a really great time talking about uh, one of my favorite people in the world, uh, Blake Masters, uh, the man who wants to master, be master of the universe. We're here with Noah Leonard, who has written a really, really great profile of Blake Masters in Mother Jones. Um and also, you know, with Blake Masters' recent victory or, you know, pending victory, I'm not sure if they certify or they've finished um, the results yet or counting the votes yet in Arizona, he'll likely win the nomination, go on to run for the Senate seat. So I think it's a great time to come here and talk about uh, our favorite little freak. So, <laughs> you know, Noah, thanks for uh, you know, coming on and uh, talking with me and guiding me through the work that you've been doing. Yeah, no, thank you for uh, having me on. Uh, ha happy to talk talk about Blake Masters. Um, yeah, like you're saying, I did a profile um, last month on on Masters. I had gotten started on it in March. Uh, he was way down in the polls at that point, around like six percent, and kind of no one was looking at him. Um, I he was a pretty unusual candidate. Kind of piqued my interest. I was reading an interview he did for the Stanford Review, which his uh, his old boss, who I'm sure we'll talk about a lot, Peter Thiel co-founded and they asked him his two favorite politicians one with george washington kind of the most boring possible answer and right. then number two he went with lee kuan yu the former dictator of singapore mm -hmm. uh, which is you know it's kind of not your standard answer for an american senate candidate but yeah. <laughs> tip his hand a little bit so at what point at what point did you say this is someone who i want to look into and what you know how did the process unfurl itself did you say like i would like to was it that interview and you said i'd like to learn why he's interested in uh, the singaporean dictator i think you know the combination of that and then you know hearing i i saw that one or two friends had kind of talked about him including the former best man at his wedding in an article in a local paper and so i reached out to them and just had very 
you know, I was just surprised how, you know, they really laid it all out. You know, they talked about how I used to be a libertarian. Other people told me I used to identify as an anarcho-capitalist or, you know, anarchist, basically, from the right. But, uh, and then it kind of, this transformation that he had of going from basically being an anarchist who believed in open borders, you know, full legalization of drugs to all of a sudden being, you know, loving Lee Kuan Yew who banned chewing gum famously and had citizens caned for, you know, minor moral infractions. Kind of, but I I saw it on because I think it tells a broader story of not just him, but him, Teal, um, Curtis Yarvin, who I don't, you know, I think probably listeners of this podcast mm-hmm. know know who he is, the absolute monarchist blogger, but is certainly, uh, I think, for fortunately not a household name in America. Um, but yeah, that kind of broader story of these libertarians just learning to love the state, basically, and they are now all about power and exercising it against their enemies. Yeah, no, I think that's really the sort of key point and insight that you unfurl here, right? That at a, at some point he transitions from uh, you know this maximalist libertarian individualist philosophy to you know you wanting to use the state and its machinery to achieve whatever whatever uh, political vision he has, right? So I think maybe would love to start with you know where you know what do you, what did you find were some of the roots of his initial phase of libertarianism or anarcho-capitalism and, you know, how did that give way or start to, uh, you know, undermine itself? You know, what part of his life did he decide I'm going to step away from this? Yeah. So, so I'll, I'll start with, you know, it, it, the answer is Peter Thiel and the, but I'll, I'll explain how we get there. So, you know, he's from Tucson, Arizona, grows up in a very privileged background. He went to a school called Greenfields Country Day School. I visited the campus while I was reporting the story. It's, it's beautiful. Um, you know, he, his main house growing up was on a beautiful golf course, gated community. I mean, much of Blake Masters' world is a world of gated communities. Mm-hmm. And then he gets to Stanford. Um, I heard from one of his best friends, he had a recommendation to go to a service academy from John McCain, but he kind of what I heard turned that down and instead went to Stanford. Um, Then he goes to like the big setback in his life in some respects academically is that he got into Duke law, but not the top, top, top tier of law schools after Stanford. And then he, but so he like works his works for a year at Duke to transfer, gets back to Stanford. Okay. So now he's like, you know, his early twenties and his best, the best friend who's also at Stanford law says, Hey, this, Hey, Peter Thiel, this billionaire PayPal co-founder is teaching a class. And he, signs up for the class, and then it's like, just kind of like Master's World explodes. I mean, he said this. He's like, said it's a holy shit moment. You know, he waits till halfway through the class and he emails Teal questions that he thinks Teal will like, and he ends up getting dinner with Teal in San Francisco. And then like the key, key thing is the next year he sits in on an undergraduate computer science class that Teal is teaching, and he takes these copious notes and he starts posting them on his Tumblr Um you know, basically, and they like blow up because no one's ever heard Teal's thoughts before. And I'm like tech bros, even David Brooks is linking to them in the New York times. And so all of a sudden, like he is the Teal whisperer and his life completely changes. But like, it's kind of important to emphasize, like, this is not what he was before that. Like one of his law school classmates, you know, kind of described him to me as like, oh yeah, wasn't that like the tall guy who didn't say anything? He was kind of note quote, like notable for not being notable. So it really is like kind of impressive guy, I guess, that he, you know, or, you know, had some credentials. He was at Stanford, but it's really Teal who transforms everything. And then Teal had gone through this journey, like he had been a libertarian and then moved, you know, founded Palantir to do surveillance and Masters goes, you know, kind of follows him down that path. 
So, so what is what does Teal's influence end up looking like? Is it you know ideological? Is it literally like here's how we reshape you to be a certain type of person? Because I, you know, like you talked about in how Thiel's on transformation and people around Thiel, they have this transformation where they kind of go from like very unassuming, lanky background figures to cobbling together some sort of charisma and ability to attract people or try to attract people, a different way of speaking, different way of holding themselves, and also the idea shifts. Like, is there, how much of that comes down to conscious, intentional redesign? And then uh, from what you can tell, how much of it is just as it happens, as they enter these sort of spaces, they have, they figure they have to, you know, change who they are, how they present themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I think he was like genuinely impressed by Teal. So I talked to a lot of people who he was in a left wing vegetarian co op at Stanford called Column Bay. I mean, like very, very left decisions. Very fascinating the part <laughs> <laughs> everything like done by consensus. Like Blake never participated in this, as far as I know. But like they were known for streaking through the library during like in the lead up to finals week. I mm-hmm. mean, they were like you know very uh, very hippy dippy kind of thing. And he was like the resident Ron Paul super fan in the co op, right. but. I think for like much of his life, he probably, you know, like I talked to people from his high school and like, you know, he often was one of the smartest guys in the room. And he's kind of used to being kind of the smart guy who can kind of argue his way out of anything. And then he meets Teal, who is, you know, regardless of, you know, anything else you're going to say about him, he's, you know, a very smart guy who is a childhood chess prodigy and kind of, and also a billionaire. So it's kind of like, you know, Masters was an Ayn Rand reader as a, you know, as a kid. And it's like, it's like meeting, you know, it's meeting the Ubermensch and all of a sudden he's kind of following Teal's lead and Teal can kind of say, look, like I'm, I'm guessing I can imagine, you know, I used to be a libertarian too, but, and, you know, recommending, like I got an email that he sent to one of his old college roommates. He, 10 years ago, he was, his friend reached out to him being like, Hey, I'm having a book club on sustainability. What should I read? And you would expect, you know, some, I don't know, nothing, something silent spring, but you know, instead master says, actually you should read, uh, this 10 part series by a a guy named Mencius Mulbug, you know, who who now obviously Curtis Yarvin, uh, it'll like pretty wild stuff. Like maybe that's what your book club should be reading. Cause it gets at like the real issues aside, you know, not this like sustainability crap. Um, so, you know, and that was like, that email was being sent, you know, maybe like about a year, year and a half after he met Teal. So like the sense is that he's going down this rabbit hole pretty quickly. And he's basically said as much that, you know, Teal, it was a huge moment. He calls Teal one of his best friends, like I think he said top five friend, if not a best friend. Um, so like they're, what a way they're, to put it. <laughs> yeah, they're very, they're very tight. Um, and I think that kind of journey that, you know, you know, yeah, Teal went, went down kind of helps, but also like, I think it's like hard for people who, you know, if you haven't read the article, um, it's like, or just don't know about him. Like they are entwined. Like he takes the notes, he graduates from Stanford law and then Teal and some of his other friends fund a startup that masters does that's basically just like legal research not that interesting um and then he does they co-write a book zero to one which is still like a huge thing in the tech world and then he basically while the, right before the book comes out he goes and works for teal capital which is teal's like family office kind of vc fund or you know like family office and then he also becomes the president of the teal foundation which is the thing that's like basically the main thing it does is the Teal fellowships, the ones that pay people $100,000 to not go to college, but also does all sorts of other weird things like has a, or just unusual, like they have a um, Rene Girard basically wing that's like just all designed to pump up the idea of this, of the French cultural theorist Rene Girard, who Teal 
took classes with at Stanford and is obsessed with. So anyway, like he becomes Teal's right hand man. Like by the end, by the time he runs for Senate, he's Teal's chief of staff. They've been together for at this point, they've been together for more than a decade. Like they are, it is, it is master and protege. Absolutely. Now, I think maybe as a sort of sidestep, there are two things I want to do. I want to talk about Thiel, you know, in his own constellation of ideas and get your thoughts on it and what you found in the research. And then maybe also talk about, and then step back and talk about some of these other influences that both of them are like being vessels for, whether that's the influence of the Singaporean dictatorship or of uh, courtesy, or Yarvin, right? And other sort of reactionary figures. But with Thiel, I mean, what... At what point is he coming in here and creating a becoming a sort of network of networkers, right? When 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 uh, Masters meets him, is he already in the process of building this 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 network of networks for the right wing, or is it through their connection and collaboration they start to build that out? I think it's really like it's really Donald Trump. So like kind of like Teal had been involved in politics. He backed Ron Paul. He he gave you know he gave some money. It's not like he was totally checked out of politics, not at all. I mean, but what really happens is like, you know, Teal in his lectures, the ones that Masters took the notes on, he explains, you know, the value of, of, of monarchy, essentially. You know, he says like all startups are monarchies that while not absolute dictatorships are basically dictatorships. And that's how anything gets done. And, you know, anything that's not democracy makes people uncomfortable, but, you know, really shit gets done through dictatorship. And that's, he's ostensibly talking about the private sector, but it, you know, this point it's pretty clear he's not just talking about the private sector um and then but the problem for them is like nothing's happening in the political sphere the idea of america installing a strong man in 2012 when you have mitt romney versus barack obama just seems completely far-fetched everything's kind of get is stuck in this kind of you know neoliberal mush and then donald trump comes along and they've said this explicitly like he explodes everything like for masters he's called it a zero to one moment name right. his book it's like this is the thing that shows that like the impossible has just become possible. The status quo can be blown up and they love it. And they like masters and teal join the transition team. They, they try, but basically fail. They have like a list of 150 people and is in like Max Chafkin's teal biography, which is very good who they try to install in the administration. Some of like they have their pick for Trump's science advisor is someone who says the U S is suffering from a carbon dioxide famine. And, and like, so even for Trump, they're like, like, whoa, guys, like these people are kind of crazy. Like, no, (laughs) thank you. Um, and they, they all, and all their kind of eggs are in the Bannon basket. Bannon gets kicked out of the white house. So anyway, they're kind of like, they still have influence, but not as much. And this is when master starts thinking like, he always thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he's not impressed. He was at Trump tower doing the transition. He's kind of, has said as much like I've met these elected officials, they seem kind of like hacks. They don't seem that impressive. They were asking me for advice and I was just some like 31 year old roughly. So he moves back to Arizona, basically the year around the year after the election, early 2018, like it's a pretty quick turn. He's just like, okay, like I'm not going to be the behind the scenes guy anymore. I'm going to try to be the Senator and I'll, I'll do the work. And then Teal, you know, it's much easier to do that if you've never run for office before, if you have a billionaire boss who is about to cut you a $10 million check, which is what happens in the master's case. Like he enters the race. He like is an announcement video comes three, 
three months after Teal was already given, essentially given him $10 million by dumping it in a super PAC. So, and then Teal upped it throughout the race. It was up to like, so far publicly 15 million, but there's no reason to think that won't keep increasing. I mean, and he did the same for, for JD Vance, who's his other former employee. But like, I think Vance and Masters tend to get lumped together because they both work for Teal. They both got $15 million from Teal, but they're pretty different. Like yes. Masters is like a pure Silicon Valley Ubermensch kind of guy. Like but before he met Teal, like the summer before he was, he was posting about on his Tumblr. His Tumblr was originally not in the piece, but like his Tumblr was originally called champion of Kapua, which is like a name, a name check of um, like a fictional title that gladiators earned in the TV show. Spart- uh, I think it's, Spartacus. Spartacus. Yeah. Yeah. So like, uh, so like that's his, like, that's the name of his Tumblr. And then like <laughs> yeah. on the about, about page, he like kind of lists all of his attributes. There's like two about pages. One is like, it's like mind. And it's like all these things like secular slash agnostic slash agnostic, which I didn't know agnostic, but it's like the proposition that it doesn't really matter the answer to the question if God exists. Um, and he's like a Hayekian, a libertarian, not convinced if the consequentialist and deontological camps are irreconcilable. I mean, he is just like, so much this guy and then there's a body section talks about his like paleo diet like there's a little detail about it like he was interning at an orange county law firm as a summer associate and he basically was like kind of lamenting the fact that he was always being taken out for lunch and dinner by his you know like the lawyers the senior people above him and it made it really hard for him to do paleo so but he like he talks about he developed all these workarounds like when they would take him to the cheesecake factory he would order just a bowl of strawberries and cream like that was kind of like the thing that was like, that's kind of the guy he is. Whereas Vance is like the hillbilly elegy author. I mean, I think his like talks much more about his, his now Catholic faith. I mean, yeah. So they're very different people. And I think like the one to focus on, if you're interested in this kind of Yarvin Teal wing is masters and and not Vance. That period, the, you know, as you pointed out of Trump being this sort of zero to one moment that then unleashes and unfurls a lot is really fascinating because that's when you start to see also like more yeah as, as you distinguished it's more it's there are a lot of ways in which masters distinguishes himself from the other theo acolytes one of them also being the lurch from pure agnosticism or nihilism about the prospect of electoral politics to the belief that it can be transformed by himself or other ubermensch individuals like himself, right? And to see the way in which he has kind of used public moments to, to navigate that, whether it's running against people who may not have been as sufficiently loyal to Trump or connected to Trump or castigating Weddell, you know, or, you know, one of his like early child, uh, who's it, Colin Weddell, one of his or, yeah, you know, yeah. early best friends um, for criticizing him criticizing him over calling vaccine mandates evil, right? It, it's it's interesting to see like him commit himself to the task then or convince himself that he is going to have to be the one to, to shake things up or to try to intervene. You know, I think then probably, the, you know, the next stream of questions, you know, with, with Thiel's connection and then the connection to the wider right, I mean, what does does uh, Thiel end up coming into explicit contact with them in real life in ways similar to Thiel? Or is it largely an ideological influence? And then, you know, of course, some stuff through campaigning or fundraising and, and other sorts of connections. Yeah. Or sorry, which w- coming into contact with, with which people? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, with, well, with far right wing fingers, oh, uh, figures who yeah. would have been ideologue, 
ideological influences them like Moldbug, for example. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, like Yarvin, I mean, he's called, he's, he's referred to, Masters has referred to Yarvin as a friend. Um, right. Curtis Yarvin, as according to public records, has made one political contribution in his life, and it's a max out $5,800 donation to Masters that happened earlier this year. So I mean, you know, like this is a guy, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a guy who wants to overturn you know, turn the United States into a corporation after the United States declares bankruptcy and then have the, you know, st- you know be accountable to an anonymous board of directors who are anonymous to each other and like communicate, you know, basically hold an NFT that allows them to rule U.S. United States, the corporation. I mean, like it's so like yeah. there's a reason this guy probably hadn't made a political contribution before. You know, yeah. not, <laughs> not too many politicians speak to his worldview. And like that was what was like. That's the thing with Masters. Like, I mean, he, he does have such a fan base online. Like, there mm-hmm. are so many kind of like red laser eye, internet monarchist, almost always men who are just like always posting memes of how he looks like Julius Caesar. Oh, um, yeah. And yeah. just like, <laughs> yes. like, he is just like the, the, cause he's kind of like who they want to be. Like, this is a guy who, like, these are people who are like posting and like listening to, you know, like various Yarvin interviews or, you know, and, but like, he's actually like going out and, and doing it, he is, he did win a Senate primary. So he's, you know, he's very quickly become their hero. Like he's the based king in the, in the wings. I mean, I think that's a very optimistic read of actually what's going to happen, but yeah, no masters, like he's interacting with these people. Like he's talked about Yarvin's plan to rage, retire all government employees on the campaign trail. So like, also like, there's also just like all sorts of little nods that like, I didn't include in the piece because they're just like, it's way too in the weeds, but like, you know, like masters owns an Urbit's a star, which is, was part of Yarvin's like decentralized internet thing. Um, he, um, I mean, he like in one of his videos, like he did this big NFT fundraiser where he said like, you know, give me $50 and you'll get exclusive access to parties with me and Teal plus ac- access to this discord. I ended up getting basically access to it because one of the people who gave the $5,800 regretted doing so. And, you know, ended up kind of considering master's positions, basically fascistic, um, which is, you know, like, kind of just shows how extreme he is like and normally yeah. you know when someone gives you fifty eight hundred dollars it's pretty un- rare that that person's then going to turn around and talk to a reporter and say hey like this is the only time in my life when i've given a political contribution and it's keeping me up at night and yeah. like shit uh yeah. and also like <laughs> you know and then you know i ended up getting access to you know some of the things they were writing in their discord like one of the things there was an article written where masters it, it sounded a little bit different in context but the headline of the story was Blake Masters blames gun violence on black people, frankly. And someone, you know, shared that article saying, you know, like, how can one man be so based? And then another dude who had a board ape NFT and, and appears to work for the U in a tangential role for the U.S. government. But anyway, like, um, or at least like affiliated with the Air Force um, um, is, uh, was like, final, finally a candidate who says what we're all thinking. Um, and, you know, then, yeah, but they're like, but they lean into it. They're like, yeah, I, I that is... Like, you know, that's one of the things, I mean, it was one of the weird reactions to the article is certain people would say, like, we understand, you know, like, we kind of tweet, like, you're pr- putting this up as a hit piece, but just, it's all, it's accurate, the information's accurate, it's just, these are all virtues, like, we do, we don't like do- democracy, because democracy is kind of like junk code, and we want to blow it all up and do, like, capitalist monarchy. So, you know, they, the reaction was, like, kind of less strong than it was to other things, because I think a lot of people probably read it and say that, yeah, this, we do want to do these things and you're a dumb lib who doesn't get the appeal, but like, they're not denying that this is the plan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I think, I think one of the things that's always been fascinating about 
Masters is the way in which I think up until relatively recently, right, he has been talked about and covered. And honestly, a lot of the right wing uh, figures where uh, some of the positions they stake out are pointed out as untenable or silly or indicative of a deeply reactionary thought, but not treated as part of a cohesive ideology um, that in of itself rejects a lot of modern life, a lot of liberalism, a lot of what the modern system kind of relies on, whether it's universal suffrage, whether it's democracy, right? Whether it's um, the egal- or attempts to move towards egalitarianism, whether it's meritocracy, right? A lot of these things are challenged explicitly or implicitly by uh, the ideology of people like, you know, um, Masters and Moldbug and Thiel. So maybe that, you know, I would love to talk a bit about that ideology itself. I mean, I know you've, you've talked, you talked a bit in the piece, for example, about some of the influences of libertarians like Murray Rothbard, right? Could we talk a bit about, you know, the, what, you know, who Rothbard is and what sort of influence uh, he had on them? And then maybe by proxy, the American right. Yeah, I think, I think it's a great question. Kind of key here is like, you know, it's easy to set up, you know, these people do not like democracy. They want a lot of power for themselves. But then the kind of the the bigger question is, what do they want to do with that power? Yes. And like, you know, in terms of, I think Rothbard's a good starting point. So he, you know, libertarian, anarcho-capitalist, reactionary economist. And I think, you know, what's fascinating about him is that he calls themselves these things. But I mean, in his, he's, he's a Jewish guy from the Bronx, like starts out, you know, but he was always on the right. And very early on in his life, as John Gans has written about, like, you know, huge Strom Thurmond supporter, like was part of like a Strom Thurmond kind of youth wing, which is just, mm-hmm. you know, it's very kind of giving it all away. But then he comes yes. around, <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. not very subtle. But in yeah. 1992, like this perfect essay on right wing populism, like, it just shows you what, what, like, what these people are meaning by libertarianism. And it's not at all what, you know, like, what you're thinking of. Like, he, the essay begins by praising David Duke. And it's basically like, ah, the corrupt media, the fake news finally got this guy. They, they per- portrayed him as what, such and such. And I'm like, yeah, he's a neo Nazi grand wizard, former wizard, grand wizard of the Ku Klux Klan. Like, it's not a, you know, this is a racist. Right. It's very, very obvious. But then he goes on the way out, lay out, like, you know, these are like the eight planks of what a right wing populist platform that's compatible with libertarianism would look like. And, and masters kind of checks them all. It's like, I mean, the, my favorite one is it talks about cracking down on criminals. And then he like explicitly puts in parentheses, like by this, of course, I do not mean white collar criminals. Um, right. so, uh, <laughs> okay. uh, and then one of them is literally America first. Um, so like yes. masters kind of, he kind of brings this up to date, but I also think he then goes, him and Teal are going a little bit further. And like, to get into this, you kind of have to look at their worldview, which is a phenomenally, dark worldview i think like the common ground they may have with the left and i think they they make good like they hate the current state of america you know that does not you do not have to be on the right to be pretty disgusted with where this country is right now and a lot of their critiques critiques can hold some validity in that respect but then they kind of go off in this you know other direction with it where basically like Teal and Masters have this really dark view that basically like technological stag- stagnation has been going on for decades and humans without these advances are we're all basically just going to turn on each other and start killing each other. And Masters has said this in like a 2014 blog post, it's going to lead to nuclear war and that could lead to extinction. So like they really think and then they combine that with this like 
If people have, I mean, I bet a lot of your listeners have read the Unabomber's Manifesto. It's a pretty fascinating document. And if you haven't read it, I would definitely recommend it. Like, they, to read it, not not to yeah, not to, to, <laughs> not, not to do yeah, the Unabombing. Uh, right. um, but like, it's he just absolutely hates the left. And Master shares this view. Mm-hmm. Like, he mm-hmm. sees like Master sees the left as like the source of all that is evil in the world. They are just it. If they put them in charge, like we'll be in a one world state, like hellscape in a second. And Teal has kind of said that too. He's like, I see kind of three futures. Like one is China rules the world. The uh, one is Islamo fascism. And three is like Greta Thunberg's like in charge of the world. And we're all like, like, like in like a woke jail. And like, and so given those three, like, you know, there was one, and there's a class where Teal taught on that. Like, and I think like one of the thinkers assigned that week was Carl Schmidt, who went on to become a major Nazi. Mm-hmm. Um, it was mm-hmm. title, kind of like unofficial title was like Crown Jurist of the Third Reich. And then the mm-hmm. other book he assigned was Welbeck's novel um, Submission about, you know, basically an Islamic takeover of France. Um, so like, this is kind of like, subtle, he assigned, the, yeah, yeah. Like this is what he assigned, he, you know, that that's the syllabus. Um, so mm-hmm. anyway, so like, what do they want to do with this power? Like they, are, they think like we're in this as they always say, like, it's always like the hour is late. And Masters even says this on the campaign trail. Like, we need to elect politicians who know what hour is. It is like everyone at these events or a huge chunk of the people at these events are like 70-year-old white Republican primary voters. They have no clue what he's talking about. But like, what he's talking about is like, you know, like the hour is late for the American Republic. So anyway, they want to get in there. They want to do like, you know, Masters has never met a tax, as far as I can tell, that he liked. Certainly hates wealth redistribution. But basically, they kind of want to, you know, basically kind of like, have Jeff Bezos, Amazon, America, like, you know, America is going to be really good at building roads. We build high speed rail between LA and San Francisco. Maybe, um, you know, we build things like Mark Andreessen, who's, who's not of this set, but you know, is, has written that recently, like it's time to build. And then, yeah, you build a bunch of stuff and you also do, then you just crack down on all your enemies, like are obsessed with that, like go on offense. That's like the thing masters is always saying. So then I think, you know, where we have this as the core of his plank of, Libertarianism meets conservatism meets this, you know, uh, grasp and lunge for power to reformulate a deeply, deeply emiserated, you know, hostile world that a strong man can guide us through. Where does Moldbug's vision of the world fall into this? Or, you know, or maybe a better way to ask is, is does Moldbug provide maybe a way for, for him to bridge what he calls the libertarianism and what Rothbard called libertarianism, which was really just like their, their Jim Crow state and, and an appeal to conservatives is mold bug part of this ideological glue or are they tacked on in another different way. Yeah. I think like masters, you know, on a lot of this, like what Moldbug has written and, and is like, basically, you know, he started out as a huge proponent fan of Ludwig von Mises, who was Rothbard's mm-hmm. mentor. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, kind of went, just started realizing like, oh, this is going nowhere. What I'm concerned about is basically my own freedom and the freedom of similarly situated kind of elites. Like I want to be able to say what I want to say, make a lot of money, you know, et cetera. And so how, what's the best way to do that? And Yarvin kind of arrived at monarchy is the most efficient route and masters like although you know he said in a recent interview i'm not a i'm not a monarchist but he's you know he's taken kind of a similar path where it's like okay how do we build this world and the 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 kindling there that you have to ignite is trump trump's base like that that's what they kind of that's like what they realized could ride them to power and masters whole and this is why i think he's often miscovered like 
it's one of the fr- frustrating things and seeing stories about him, like his launch video for his campaign, which is like inspired by Terrence Malick, he says, um, is like he, uh, and bad, I mean, Sam Adler Bell has a good piece on Master Say, and he talks about like how, you know, with Badlands, you know, yeah, it's also about a sociopathic murder spree. But um, right. anyway, right. <laughs> um, it's like with this, you know, uh, it says three things. It's like, but one of them, and the one that gets a lot of attention is family should be able to live on a single income. Like, obviously, basically everyone on the left agrees with that. Uh, Elizabeth Warren wrote a whole book about it a long time ago. But Masters has done absolutely nothing to really fill that in. Like, and he's basically said as much. He's like, yeah, I haven't really come up on a, uh, with a plan on this. Um, so, like, but as a result, people often call him a populist. And, like, this idea that Masters, like, Mr. Double Stanford is, is a populist is, like, is such a farcical idea and and even he would admit that he's he is not that but but to like go back to your question i think it's about you know it's about creating a world where basically the teal and master class have the ability to have to save us you know they have power they are not encumbered by you know the quote-unquote deep state and they just get to kind of to save us and part of the they, they see the enemy and the obstacle to them saving us as what Yarvin calls the cathedral and, you know, basically kind of the liberal, you know, what the left might call the professional managerial class, but like, you know, that's the enemy. And so they just need to kind of clear them out. And that's what, what the appeal of, you know, the kind of the Trump or bond style politics is because you, you silence your enemies and get them, get rid of them. Like Vance has said, like the first thing that Trump should do in 2025 is basically just like fire everyone who is not, fully on board with MAGA and if the Supreme court rules against them, basically tell the Supreme court to screw off. Um, so like that's, that's where it's headed if they're successful. But I also think like, and we'll get to that, like that's another big if, you know, they're like Silicon Valley is billionaires are nothing if not hubristic and tend to overestimate their ability to shape things <laughs> in the way that they wanted to. Like, you know, I think they imagined Airbnb like solving all housing problems and, you know, we, we know how that worked or, or Uber, et cetera. So like, these stories don't tend to end well. Yeah, yeah. I think that, you know, the fact that they don't end well and that they overestimate the hubris, I'm really, I think that leads me to like be curious about with Thiel and his own and 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 masters and their sense of what needs to be done. I mean, you know, that Sam Adler Bell piece talked about the violent fantasies. I'm curious, like from what you've seen and, re- and reported on, I mean, are these, are the violent fantasies a, a one-way thing in the sense that like, they are fantasizing or where they're in their fantasy. There's a violent world and it needs to be ordered with the state. Or is it also a two way fantasy where they also fantasize about using the state in violent ways to shore up the rule of law, to shore up civilization um, and achieve their political project? Yeah. So, so a couple parts on that like the first is like yeah i mean one of them that comes to mind is like one of the masters campaign videos is just like him holding an assault rifle and the it says like this is not designed for duck hunting it's designed for killing people um you know like it's a very kind of like i talked with one of his childhood friends who's also named noah about it is like like they've shot guns together and he's just like dude this is freaking cringy like this yeah. is like like what are you doing man but then like just to like more substantively like this is what Master, I'll just quote it because I think it gets the heart of it. Like what Master said in an interview with the right wing site, like the younger left is different, more Machiavellian, more ruthless, just obsessed with wielding power and wiping out the opposition. The things we are raised to respect, the rule of law, stable families, our faith, having a functional self-respecting country, the modern left sees as intrinsically evil. They want to destroy everything that's good. So like if that was your view of your opponent, you know, why wouldn't you, re- like, I mean, resort to extreme 
measures. Like if you think your enemy is on the imminent verge of basically destroying the universe and potentially causing our extinction, when it's really not an exaggeration to think that Masters thinks this, like he has said that if Republicans don't win this year and in 2024, America could soon cease to exist and his, his children, which there's three boys, the oldest of which is named Rex Alexander, which is kind of an interesting name check to name your child kind of after Alexander the Great. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, like they'll live in a country they don't recognize. So, I mean, I find it hard to believe you could hold Master's view of what's happening in America and not want to go to extreme lengths. Like it would be a phenomenal level of inconsistency. And it's in, you know, like he's also talked about, like, you know, there's no point in being a pacifist when you're up against the wall and they're about to shoot you. So like that is the kind of, he is in a very, very dark place that even like the most, not the most far left Democratic politician, like a Bernie Sanders would never, you know, vitriolic things or, you know, just of course, like deep dissatisfaction with where things are, but it's not like America is going to end in 18 months and we're all going to be in, in gulags, you know, like that's, but that's kind of the master's view of, I mean, well, maybe, I mean, maybe at the far, of the far, far right, but like, you know, like it's, I don't know, but anyway, like masters has, has all the views that would justify extreme reaction. And also like saying things like he says, Trump won the 2020 election, but then he has this like totally warped it's a very legalistic thing of it. Like, like masters, I don't think he believes the 2020 election was, was stolen, but he's, I mean, he's willing to say these things to, to get a lot. I, I would be curious, like, why do you think Masters in of himself seems to be alone in the acolytes and holding this, right? Vance has had a good amount of money pumped into, into him, but has also been presented and packaged in a very different way with a different set of ideological roots and the different sort of project. And, you know, as you pointed out, while Masters may not offer ameliorative's to why society is going bad except giving, you know, give me power— Vance may propose things that, you know, we, we may know they don't work or they're nonsensical, but nonetheless, it feels very different in, in the program that they're approaching and how they're articulating it to people. I mean, is this, is this just simply something we can lock up to? Well, like they have very different ideological paths and, and, and backgrounds and influences, even though they're both in the world. Yeah, I think it's like helps to look at, you know, biography here too. It's not o- always mm-hmm. destiny, but it often explains a lot. And you know, like, you know, Mass or Vance's, you know, working class Ohio background, like mm-hmm. he, he has a kind of he's an elite now with a Yale law degree, but also hates those elites because he sees, you know, it's it's complicated. But then Masters is like you can look at Thiel's background. Like who, you know, who is Peter Thiel? He came to the United States from Germany as an infant. He spent a decent chunk of his childhood living in South Africa where his father was working on a uranium mine. And, you know, for a clandestine nuclear weapons program that this apartheid regime was pursuing. And like, you know, it's in, yeah. in the Chapkin biography, like the miners, almost certainly all, all black, were like, they would basically like get their paychecks like from behind glass because the white managers thought they were literally radioactive and did not want to be interacting with them. So like this is, and then later, you know, according to, there's been reports that Teal is denied, but two of Teal's, you know, people who went to college with him have accused him. I've said he defended apartheid when he was in undergrad, although, you know, so like, and then Teal's world, like, 
think someone else had, had said it, but like this idea that like Peter Thiel like cares about like Paul Revere, the Boston Tea Party, and like apple pie is preposterous. Like this is not a guy who's deeply committed, you know, to a, like old school American patriotism. He said like his favorite book and most influential or most influential book he ever read was this book, The Sovereign Individual, by James Dale Davidson and um, Reese Mogg, who's the uh, father of one of the big Brexiteers. And it's like, the book is nuts. I mean, it just talks about like how basically like this kind of overlord class will finally escape from nations and create like little feudal states where they don't have to pay taxes. And this will, this is like heaven. And finally, this is possible. And like that for a while, like, (laughs) you know, like the idea that Teal, I think like Teal is a realist at this point. And he realizes like, that's not happening anytime soon. Like, it's not very much, it's not very useful to live in Singapore if Singapore can be invaded by China at any moment or, or Taiwan or whatever. So like there's a, some short-term practical return to having the United States and its nuclear weapons like in your camp. But over the long run, the idea that he's like that invested in America just seems kind of absurd. And I think, you know, Masters is not quite that far, but like comes out of, comes from that more Silicon Valley like world of let's, let's escape from society. Like, you know, when Masters was in college, you know, or right after college, like his hobby, he was like literally panning for gold. That was one of his big hobbies. I mean, like, <laughs> and he's now a big crypto holder. Like, right. I, we don't know what he's done in the last year because his updated filing hasn't come out yet. But like, as of, I think it was as of last year, he had like between one and $5 million in Bitcoin, like 250 to $500,000 in Ethereum. I mean, like, this is where his money was. Like, he was a believer. Like, I mean, he he's a millionaire and he's rich, but he's not by any stretch a billionaire and like he really seemingly believed in this stuff because and it's we'll see in a little bit whether he got wiped out on some of it when crypto fell but yeah i mean i think that's kind of but back to your question vance and masters i mean very different backgrounds like masters comes from this extremely rarefied kind of tucson world like it's you know his his parents were well off he went to this private day school he goes to stanford goes to stanford again like he's never like there's never really been a moment where he's kind of been forced to identify with less fortunate members of society. And like, you know, yeah, just yesterday for a different story, I was for on way to like fight for 15 and what's going on in California with fast food workers. Like I was talking to a worker, you know, you know, like, like many Americans works three jobs, 80 hours a week. And like the idea of masters having a conversation with, it's just like, you know, like there's, this is not who masters is, is speaking to obviously. And when he talks about freedom, it rarely seems to be the freedom for someone like that. Right. It's, it's freedom. It's freedom to do to it's freedom to do things to those people. I th- I, th- I would love to uh, backtrack a little bit to talk about that book you mentioned, the sovereign individual, because uh, that book is um, it's hard to communicate to someone unless they read it how bad shit is. <laughs> but it is widely influential, right? In in the circles, I would love to maybe talk a bit about you know the role. Well, you know the book in of itself, but also like the role that you found it had in their in the influences of Theo and this network, right? Like was this a pre-configuring his idea of seasteading and and did it serve as the format for like we need to build this infrastructure to create these enclaves? Yeah. I think it's like hard he hasn't said explicitly that's the connection, but I think it's very easy to draw those lines. Like, you know, it's that would make that's the worldview that flows out of this. And like I think it's like these books, what's also just wild, like I think what tends to get like you can describe sovereign individual and make it and and it sounds crazy, but also it's like hard to even just capture just how bizarre this book is. Like there's a whole part in the back half about 
how the Clint, how Bill Clinton is a CIA affiliated drug trafficker yes. or is <laughs> like assisting them. There's a lot about like Vince Foster, like it's nuts. Like and James Dale Davidson, who's the American, one of the authors, like he, he, his website, like I recommend people go to it. It's wild. Like, it's like, it looks like an M, like mid-level marketing scheme. It's like, you know, like pay me this amount of money and I'll give you all the investing secrets. And he like still describes himself as um, like married. He's like, you know, through my investing savvy that you could get access to by paying like just a small fee like i married a miss brazil like have an award-winning estate winery in new zealand but so like i looked into it like the miss brazil is actually like miss brazil usa which is like a now defunct very minor beauty contest which has like 3,500 or 5,000 followers on instagram which is like kind of hard to be like a brazilian beauty contest on instagram and like and then the other one is like the winery he had to sell because, and he like gave this interview to the New Zealand press and he was like, yeah, it turns out like Miss Brazil was like only after for me for my money. So now I'm like tied up with legal fees. And <laughs> oh so like, they're, they're like, they're screwing me. And like, I hate New Zealand. It's impo- and like, so like, anyway, like these guys are like, are kooks. Like, it's not <laughs> yeah. like he's reading, like, it's, it's not even like he's reading like Bologies, like, like most recent book or Mark Andreessen. Like these are really kooky guys. But yeah, like that's the vision in the book in the end is like, they're like, oh, maybe we can all be like, members of the Knights of Malta and the Knights, like they literally talk about that, like, like the Knights of Malta will issue, will issue you a passport as like, as to be like global citizen Knights of Malta member. And you will like travel around the world, not paying taxes. Um, And they, they, and they say, and they say it like, they're like the losers. That's how they refer to like the 99%. Like are just going to get used, need to get used to the fact that like, you're like, you know, like that old thing where you got like healthcare and retirement benefits, like, no, no, like not anymore. It's yeah. Um, and so like, that's, you know, like that teals, that book came out in the late nineties, you know, for a while to, that's kind of, and it leads into the period where teals more of like the exit, you know, politics of exit, um, seasteading kind of thing. And, and then he's, you know, starts making a, a transition more towards, you know, more towards explicitly. But also I think he was just like, we've talked about, like he was just frustrated. Like it was like, there was no, he didn't see like the unicorn that he could invest in. And like get a huge like return, and then Donald Trump becomes that person. This like really fascinating thread of of thinking from there brings us to a bit full circle to to Silicon Valley maybe, and to and to you know what you alluded to the the hubris that backstops a lot of Silicon Valley's projects. I mean, this is a part of the country that likes to fashion itself or fancy itself as the architect of the future or at the, you know, near the nexus of power or on the beating heart of this country and its economy and overestimates its ability to, you know, steer the direction of its politics, of its culture, of its, of its social relations. Maybe the first question here is like, how then with masters where he is now and Thiel, do they get to like, what's their relationship with Silicon Valley? Is it something they can plug back into? Do they have support there? Does it play a role in the vision that they have for the future? Is it, or is it more like a hostile formation that they have to take over, much like the state? Yeah, I think you. I've been surprised in some ways. Like you know, Teal is still he's a huge player. He's at he's at Founders Fund. He was like Facebook's first outside investor. He's had made big investments in Lyft and Airbnb. So like people don't want to alienate him like you know he is retains a lot of influence you haven't seen a lot of big billionaires speaking out against what he's doing and if they have it's been pretty you know kid glove kind of treatment so i I mean he still retains a lot of influence and masters as his 
you know, I mean, to criticize masters, it's to criticize Teal. So it's, it's the same thing. So, I mean, I think, and also just their, their worldview is very, I mean, maybe not as extreme as it is, but like, you know, there's a lot of, you see it in San Francisco. It's just like kind of a lot of disdain for democracy, you know, with, you know, why are people so irrational, so dumb? They like, obviously it's economically efficient to have a high speed rail between California and LA, which I agree with. Like, I wish there were a train there too, but I'm not willing to throw out all, you know, democracy to, you know, know, or like, you know, install a monarch to do it. You know, so I think they retain a lot of influence out there. And they always kind of, there's just this strain, like we were talking about of like believing you, you know, you, your master plan can be executed. And I want to like draw a historical parallel, not to say, does not to say they're the same, but it's just, I think it's an interesting one. Like a lot of the German reactionaries who Thiel assigns in his classes and has cited, you know, who their work, like, like Carl Schmitt's one, like, so he, you know, spent the whole thirties Weimar era railing against democracy, calling for a dictator, being very sympathetic to fascism and Mussolini. And then he comes along and he joins the Nazi party once, once it comes along. But basically, pretty so soon after that, he starts writing theories of like why the Nazis deserve to hold power. And it's at this point that the Nazis kind of kick him aside and they're like, who the hell do you think you are? Like, we don't need some poindexter writing theories about why we, why we deserve to have power. <laughs> like, we deserve to have power because we do. And then he kind of is like sent to Siberia, but he does actually, you know, so like, but he still keeps working on his theories. They just don't care about him at all. Um, and like, I think that's kind of like, you can see that happening here. Like, there's this idea that like the MAGA mob is in the end is going to put Blake Masters and Peter Thiel, who is like a very unusual gay Christian who believes that heaven can create be created on here on earth and then who hopes to live on it forever. And that's his version of like reaching heaven. Like the idea that Peter Thiel is going to be the person placed in charge by this mob is kind of preposterous to me. Like, I, I think like they think they're going to be able to ride the wave and be on top of it. And I think, you know, a much more likely story if they were, if their side were to succeed is that they're kind of unleashing these phenomenally dangerous, dangerous forces that in some form, end up swallowing them too. And I don't mean that they end up dead or anything, but, you know, just the, like Donald Trump was the person who emerged in charge in, you know, in 2016, not, not Peter Thiel. Peter Thiel was completely ignored during the transition. So I think this, you know, this story, there's, there's a lot of optimism I think they have about what's going to happen. And, you know, it, it kind of mirrors the investments they made and what it ended up doing to our, um, to our society. I mean, look at, you know, I mean, this moment, you know, Facebook's Twitter, I mean, it's just, yeah, I mean, we're we're here because of in a lot in many respects because of the mistakes that these VCs made, and now once again they think they've got it all figured out. Yeah, you know that I think that's definitely been one of the ongoing threads, obviously, of this podcast. But I think of a lot of the analyses profiles of these people, it's that the world where li- a lot of them did get the world or uh, parts of the world that they wanted. And it turned out to be horrible, right? It ended up making things a lot worse, which they've then used to justify further placing more power and influence and centrality in their hands. You know, so with, with these people, with the refusal, I guess, to uh, isolate them or push them to the side with how central they end up being, you know, are there concerns? Is it fair to be concerned that they would that their ideas would take even deeper hold here where, you know, like you said, there's already a base of antipathy for democracy. And while they're, they may not be King, a lot of their ideas rhyme or maybe at this point have transformed into forms that rhyme with what these people hold because they're from that same milieu. They've spent years in those circles and they're not holding mold bugs ideas. They're holding ideas that they had from that milieu merged with mold bugs, merged with Rothbard, merged, merged with uh, Lee Huacon, um, 
or merge with the um with yeah with Lee Kuan Yew, yeah. Yeah, Lee yeah. Kuan Yew. Um that and, and it's this sort of chimera, but there are enough elements that are familiar and appealing that they could spread to Silicon Valley and to other sectors of of political uh society as well. Yeah, and I, I didn't get into this as much in the piece, but I think this is where it's important to to throw it back to to you know the bipartisan kind of neoliberal consensus that we've li- lived under for the past couple decades. Like this is also a story about them or failing us. And you know, like the reason you might find part of the reason you might find a lot of people sympathy sympathetic to dictatorship and, and you know right now is just how little the government is doing for them. You know, I mean, you don't see people wanting to overthrow. I mean, you, you saw the business community wanting to overthrow maybe FDR because of what he was doing, but, you know, working class and middle-class Americans weren't trying to, weren't, didn't want to abandon democracy during the New Deal because they just, you know, gained, you know, or it, most Americans gained access to Social Security for the first time, et cetera. But, I mean, like, you know, there's been just such a failure to provide for the basic needs of Americans by, you know, by the kind of ruling factions of both parties for decades now that you get to this point where I think, you know, Congress's approval rating, I think I saw in one poll this morning was 17%, and that's higher than it usually is. And Amazon's approval rating, I think, is like, in the 70s, it's like Amazon's approval rating is like as high as the U.S. military at this point. Like people at this point, I think there's a large faction of Americans who are just like so fed up with how our government works, which that they just are willing to kind of turn towards these top down hierarchical solutions or at least sympathetic to them. And, you know, not in any way to justify, but like there, there's an element of you can understand why someone gets there. I mean, I I, I feel it. I mean, like I, I think you live in New York as well. I live in New York like this. You know, median rent in Manhattan is four thousand dollars. It's disgusting. It's insane. Yeah, um, um, <laughs> and like this is a, a failure of our government. But, but yeah, I mean, then it's the clu- like I mean, thing from from the left, it, the solution is like this is happening because there's not enough democracy because people do not have enough power and we're beholden to corporate interest. And instead, from the right, the solution is it's is, no, this is actually happening because there's not enough hierarchy and more hierarchy will will solve this. Um, so. I think that's would be the fear is like, why would this, you know, attitude catch on more and more is like, I think a lot of Americans really like Silicon Valley. They like that you can go on Amazon and the thing shows up one day later. And then as well, as opposed to like, when you try to go to the DMV, it's a frustrating experience. So like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's a little scary to think about kind of how that pitch is going to play. But I also, but like, I don't want to overstate it. Cause like masters, like he is just such a creature. Like Donald Trump is, you know, all the other things you can say about him, he is an entertaining speaker right. and a good TV personality. Mm-hmm. And like Blake Masters is not that. Like he is like, you know, is also, also in the Sam Adler Bell piece. Like there's none of the kitsch, there's none of the entertainment. It's just like doom, doom, mm-hmm. doom, and mm-hmm. and arrogance. Like he's just like so clear that he is so sick of being surrounded by so many idiots who don't understand such blindingly obvious truths. And like it just sucks that he has to like waste his time around them. Like that's been his personality, kind of even from the emails I got in college um, that he wrote. So like, who knows? Like he could even, you know, there's no, by no means any guarantee. And like, you know, th- he could easily lose to Mark Kelly, who's the current Senator come November. And, you know, I think this will look a lot different, you know, can look, you know, if, in that world, this looks much more like a hubristic experiment gone awry rather than kind of, you know, the beginning of some sort of huge takeover. That being said, just as like a final thing, like on that is like, I, but I do think these things are here to stay. Like, like masters is very he's 35 he's very much in line with like what young online members of, of the right feel um and like it that's i think that's where the energy of the party is yeah i think that was probably going to be some of the you know the last questions to ask out and close this out I, it, 
were going to be centered on this idea of like, you know, what happens even if they lose. Cause like you said, he's young, he's well-resourced, he's building a movement and a base behind him that could support whatever else he does, whether it's in Arizona or if he loses in carpet bags in another state or seeks higher office or something, you know, like he has, uh, you know, even though he doesn't have the charisma and any of the real, you know, staying power of some of the other forms of new right people we've seen emerge, he does have the network. And, and then, and maybe that's the question I have is like, you know, what does that, network look like from here i mean is it is it that feel and his immediate surrounding circle like feel has a habit of finding you know promising young people from stanford you talked about does that sort of process continue as he's cultivating and developing the networks and orbits around masters and vance and you know anyone else who comes up or is it that you know masters becomes his own sort of network of networks or node in networks? You know, where what is, is it possible to predict? I guess the 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 way that the network will look from here on out based on the larger contours and patterns we've been talking about. I think it's impossible to predict, but I think you can like say certain things fair, you know, fairly confidently. And I think you know the old school kind of milk toast Mitt Romney Republicanism is obviously at least for the foreseeable future, you know, a thing of the past. And this is where the energy is, this kind of really aggressive right that is always going after people, you know, just, you know, unashamed, unapologetic, taking cues from Viktor Orban's Hungary um, and all, you know, I mean, the post, like the new new right, post-left, illiberalism, like, you know, basically just that the current republic, the youth energy of the party is not in any way committed to the liberal tradition that, you know, at all. And I think that's, that's here to stay. You know, we'll see, we'll see what happens with masters, but either way, like Teal, Josh Hawley is very close to Teal, you know, has gotten big, significant amounts of money from him early in his career. JD Vance, you know, barring a really unexpected, something really unexpected will likely win in Ohio. So like Teal is going to have two of the 100 senators, potentially three, you know, with close ties to him and it will continue. Like he's a venture capitalist. Like they talk about this in zero to one. They're always trying to make like, they know that 99 or, you know, 90 out of your hundred investments are going to go bust, but it's the 10 that explode that make you all the money. And that's kind of what Teal is doing here too. Like he's giving money to other candidates as well, smaller amounts, but like he's going to keep spreading things around. And then he has things like national conservatism, which is kind of the movement that he's helping to fund. And that's like, that is the direction of the party and they're creating a pretty big tent as long as, you know, you're willing to align yourself with Trump, you know, stealing elections and kind of, you know, just going on war, going to war with the left and, you know, and, and also the nativism. So like it, I think it's not, yeah, it's definitely not going away. And, you know, it's also, I mean, also it's going to be, you know, be like masters is kind of the, you know, masters is a highbrow iteration of this. Like, but then, you know, the other people winning are, you know, people, the other Arizona candidates who won yesterday, like the Secretary of State candidate, the government, like, or the, or the Secretary of State candidate, the candidate for governor, like, they are complete wing nuts who yeah. are, I mean, they're like, like, one of them, like, says, like, the devil himself intervened in the 2020 election. <laughs> yes, I'm... And like, like admits, admits that he has no evidence for this, but just, like, feels it in his gut, basically. Um, like, they're, they're calling for, like, banning all early vote. I mean, like, they are just, like, so much more extreme 
like, yeah, they really do like make masters kind of look mild with his, you know, claim. So like, yeah, the, I think the ship has, or you know, the horse is out of the barn on, on, on this one. Yeah, that's definitely a dynamic I am worried about uh, where it's like we can have these sort of lightning rod figures, but like they are so bright that we ignore all the demons lurking in the shadows who think the devil's, you know, getting involved in our elections or uh, think that we should have a political order premised on the idea that some people are parasites or uh, leeches or that are unproductive, you know, burdens on society. Do you think that... We are in a good position through in cover whether it's coverage or analysis for seeing masters and feels ideologies for what they are, or that there is still this sort of distance that prevents a clear understanding of the threat that these people do pose. Not just if you are a leftist or a liberal, but if you are just someone who lives and enjoys the society that we have today or, you know, or enjoys some of the, the rights, I would say the rights and the niceties, I guess, of the society we have today. Yeah. I think it's kind of split. Like, I think there are some articles, particularly, you know, when they're written by people who are familiar with this worldview and read the books that shape it and talk to people who understand it kind of get, you know, get it and see what this is, you know, like, I mean, John Gans wrote mm-hmm. a very good piece, you know, um, on, I mean, like, I think the headline was just Peter Thiel is a fascist. Yeah, that was a great one. Yeah, so like responses, (laughs) right? And like, but the responses are interesting because it's like people are like, "Well, no, he's he's not a fascist because not all forms of top-down right-wing authoritarianism are fascism." You know, he let's say he's more of a corporate monarchist. But like, okay, Mm -hmm. like, but how important are these distinctions that we're talking about? Like, we're all on the same page that he's a right-wing authoritarian. Like, the specific word you choose ends up not being that important, and it, you know whatever. But then, I mean, but so I think like there are the articles, um, like that, that get what's kind of going on here, but then there's another part that just kind of like takes like hook, line and sinker, this like idea that the new right is like finally the right coming around to populism and caring about the concerns of average Americans. And they're going to, you know, like take it to the chamber of commerce, which is, you know, (laughs) screwed over the working people and kind of, you know, create like a, dictatorship of the right-wing proletariat and like preposterous like i Mm -hmm. I, so i think like i do think there's a lot of yeah maybe maybe that's the key like if you're reading an article that kind of describes this person as a populist with lots of ideas for working americans like that's a good sign that the article has not engaged with what's actually happening here and if instead you're reading about you know anti-democratic reaction coming from a very elite set of people you know that's directionally right and i think a lot of the bigger articles I've gotten that, although I have been surprised. Like, I think there's our, you know, it's still a lot gets, gets missed. And I, and I think it's just like, so I think it's hard for, I think most journalists are pretty, or many journalists are like in, you know, on the center to center left. And like they, this idea of just like a group of people who don't believe in democracy, who, you know, the so, like the worldview of the sovereign individual is like so completely alien to them that it's just hard to wrap their head around and then it ends up just kind of getting translated into something just so much more milk toast than what it actually is. And I, and but I think masters, yeah. So I, so I would say it's it's a split. Yeah, no, I hear you. I think that is a key point. That part of the difficulty is the alienness or the alien nature to it. You know, I, that's why, like you said, John Gans um, and Unpopular Front sub, uh, Substack that he has, the uh, Know Your Enemy podcast with Sam Adler Bell and Matthew Sipman have been 
you know, some of the most valuable resources in in pointing or out the literal primary literature that these people engage with, because that's really, you know, where you're gonna, I get, you know, look at the worldview. Because, like you said, you know, a lot of the times in the articulation and the trans and the translation of this that you get from a lot of coverage, it doesn't really capture some of the part of it is subtleties, but also part of it is sometimes it feels as if the right is not taken seriously on its own terms when they say how extreme a project they want is, or it is minimized to try to focus on more easily recognizable and understandable and digestible parts, right? But, you know, it is important to literally just read what these people say, you know, no matter how unreadable Moldbug's essays are. Uh, the readability makes it hard to justify reading it, but they are important to see what these people are saying. And I think a good sort of illustrator to... To remember, oh, like these people have read this book influenced by this idea and are making connections with other people who have these same sort of node stars that suggest, you know, like you said, that even if a specific label doesn't work, there is a core nexus, uh, a shape to the idea that is threatening and uh, to liberalism, to leftism, to society in of itself, right? Yeah. And I think there's like a trap that people can fall into because you, you see it with some of the people from the left who've kind of bent all the way around and are now on the right, you know, kind of like the Red Scare kind of phenomenon of, right. you, know, you know, just like jump. Who, I mean, Curtis Yarvin was on that podcast recently. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, as what, yeah. It, you can listen to masters make these critiques of people maybe you also hate or you know, view with disdain and then think he's kind of on your side mm -hmm. because of that. And it's, it's, pretty much like a trap. And I think like they're always referencing Christopher Lash, uh, particularly mm -hmm. his book revolt of the elites. And like, it's a really, I, you know, recommend the book and, uh, you know, 80% of it is an attack on kind of the elites who are ruining our society. But the first, the introduction makes clear, like the solution here is economic equality and redistribution of wealth. And as long, and if we don't have that, we're fucked. And like, you know, what the right is doing is taking that back 80% and then just completely ignoring the economic redistribution side and the part of like actually having respect and treating, you know, providing freedom to the majority of Americans. So like, yeah, it's a shame. I think it's a very small number of people who are like kind of going down this road, but they seem to have outsized influence, at least among people who probably like me, who probably spend too much time on Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. You're right. You know, I think that really sums it up for the conversation that you know, we had here about the lovely, lovely right-wing authoritarian formation that's bubbling in the heart of this country. I uh, really thank you so much for coming on to talk with me about this, Noah. Uh, if you're listening, please read Noah's article on Mother Jones. The title is scrolling up viciously to the top of it. Blake Masters is Peter Thiel's dream candidate and a total nightmare for democracy. You know, and also we'll be putting in the episode notes a bunch of other suggested readings, uh, some of them provided by Noah as well, that you should check out if you want to, um, you know, if you if you want to stop doom scrolling and maybe just doom read something for a little bit, right? And as always, you can find us on uh, Patreon. This Mission Kills um, is the is the name for the Patreon. You can find us on Twitter. Uh, Noah, where can people find you and your work? Yeah, um, uh, at Mother, you know, on the Mother Jones website, but you know, I post the main stuff. You know, the stuff you should read is on my Twitter, which is at and Lenard uh, and L A N A R D. So that's the best place to to find the stuff. 
Perfect. And with uh, that, you know, thanks everybody for listening. Adios.